Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. As we approach the end of our series, examining the commissioning texts that Jesus gives his disciples, we come today to a unique commission. And Jesus speaks specifically and directly to the man who would become the Apostle Paul. Thanks for listening to our study today as we seek to identify those characteristics of Jesus' specific call that are also applied to all believers as they describe Jesus' rescuing role of saving us from our sins. Well, my family and I were watching an episode of the Andy Griffith Show a while back. This one particular episode saw Andy and Helen uh, making their way through an abandoned cave, and then there was a cave-in, and they got trapped. Uh, maybe you may remember this episode. Um, Andy and Helen, they, they find a way to escape, but their resilient Barney, he puts together a posse, and they go, and they're going to save old Ange from the cave. Um, well, uh, Andy and Helen, uh, or yeah, Andy and Helen realize this, and so they, they allow themselves to be rescued by Barney, and sure enough, Barney makes his way through. We found him! We found him! And he goes and gets him. And, uh, and the town rejoices. And the very next day, the, the conclusion of the episode uh, shows Andy back in his sheriff's outfit. Uh, and he's got the, the, the week's newspaper. And there the headline says, Deputy Fife, hero in a local cave rescue. And uh, he shows it to Barney. And, you know, Barney playing the whole thing off well you know i don't know i don't i just i just don't make a big deal about those things just doing my job and uh you know andy's saying you know this is a really big deal no not not a big deal and then the punchline as a little opie walks in carrying a stack of 100 newspapers to deliver to barney here are your papers barney (laughs) oh man you know uh, isn't that how it should go isn't that exactly what we do when there's a rescue when there's a hero, is you, you publish it. You, you proclaim what has been done. Uh, we, we should have that response. And for anybody who has ever undergone any type of actual rescue, you will know you have a kind of relationship with your rescuer that's very unique. Uh, you have a perspective on them that nobody else shares. You are able to be a kind of witness for their character, for what they've done for you, that nobody else can do because it's special, it's unique, it speaks directly to the circumstances that you were in. It's not difficult for us to see the metaphor that this is for the Christian life. Uh, For all of us who have been drawn out of darkness and having our eyes opened to the truth that you and I have been released from the bondage of slavery to sin and we have been risen with Christ to a newness of life, to be found given a, a fruit that comes from God's spirit that indwells us. What, what do you do with that? What do you do with that kind of rescue? Well, you, you should publish it. You, 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 should, you should hang it on your walls. You, you should write it on the tablet of your heart and your mind to declare the praise of the hero who has saved you. Amen? As we live in a, in a really idolatrous world, uh, we probably, many of us, have an unconscious risk in reading God's word that oftentimes when we read the story, we forget that we are not the hero and that Jesus is our hero. Uh, you, you know, every single um, movie that's out there is depicted in such a way that there's a villain and there's a hero, but we always try to identify with the hero. 
That's not the pattern that we're given in the New Testament. That's not the pattern that we're given for the Bible. You are not the hero of this story. You are the one who needs to be saved in this story. And Jesus alone is our hero. Uh, you, I don't know if you caught it, but you heard the lyrics from Chris already. Uh, you've got Isaac, the, the child of promise, laid out with Abraham carrying the knife, ready to plunge it down in. And then do you know what happens? Isaac is rescued. Well, was it Abraham? Was Abraham the hero of this story? Not at all. God was the hero for God provided a substitute in place. Now, God has done that for you and for me. God has provided a substitute so that you do not have to spend all of eternity atoning for your sins. Are there any sin sinners in church today? I'm just looking around here. Any sinners in church? Yeah, praise to God that you do not have to spend all eternity atoning for those sins, but that the eternal God suffered and died for you in your place so that you can be rescued. Oh, we ought to publish that. Oh, we ought to proclaim that. Today, we're going to be working towards wrapping up our series called Show and Tell. It's our summer mission series. It's the opportunity that we have regularly here at Grace to remind ourselves as to why we are here. When God saved you, he could have taken you immediately into glory to be with Jesus. But he didn't. You know what God did? He left you here. He left you here for a purpose. And God's design and purpose is such that there would be a witness to go and reach all those other image bearers of God who have yet to believe and place their faith in him. Those image bearers that we looked at so many uh, weeks back are declaring the purpose of God for the human creature on the planet Earth to be God's representative, to be in relationship with God, to revere him and worship him. That's what we're designed to do. But do you know what the twisting of sin does? Oh, we still worship. Every creature on this planet that's human worships something. But you know what it's been twisted now? Instead of declaring the praise and worship to God, who do people worship? I haven't lost you here yet, have I? Right? Just think of your own life. What would God rescue you from? My, My guess is he rescued you from a service of self, a love of self, a desire to serve your own needs and pleasures. And God has rescued you from that. He has blessed us like he did Abraham. He's blessed you and I to be a blessing. And then we have sequentially through the last couple of weeks, we have looked at our marching orders. That's that's kind of the uh, subtitle that I'm uh, calling this series. Well, what are the church's marching orders? Well, they come from Jesus. Every week we have examined Jesus's last words that he delivers to the church. In John, he says, as the Father sent me, I, I'm sending you. In Matthew, we get the the great uh, preeminent uh, commissioning text. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. In Mark, we saw that the angel says to to the, uh, the women's at the empty tomb, I want you to go tell his disciples and Peter, don't forget about Peter. We got we to gotta get that guy straight again. Go tell him that he is risen. And then the response from the church to fill in the longer ending of Mark declares all that God does such that the disciples and the church go and witness. And God confirms that witness by these amazing miraculous signs. And then we looked at Luke a few weeks ago. And then last week, Luke, a two-part 
commissioning. In Luke 24, when he says, you need to go to all nations, but you're going to begin in Jerusalem. And then last Sunday, do you guys remember last Sunday in the book of Acts? That was uh, chapter 1, verse 8. He says that you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then where? Do you remember? A little quiz time, a little review time here. Jerusalem and Judea, and then Samaria to the, to Segola. That's right. Ends of the earth, way out here, middle of nowhere, dirt road. <clears throat> if they hadn't gone, we wouldn't be here. But because those disciples went, because they went in the power of God, uh, because there was a witness that carried that message, there is now a, do you remember the E1, E2, and E3 witnesses? There's now an E1 witness right here. There is a, an evangelization that can happen with the people who live here. So today, we are going to look at one last commission, but this one's a little bit different. This one is not going to be a commissioning text that is general to all the disciples in the church. This is going to be one that's specific. God had a specific guy who he had carved out to be his agent to go and share the message of the gospel to both the Jews and then further on to the Gentiles, to the kings and the rulers of the Gentiles, as you heard Teresa read for us today. What's this guy's name? The apostle, help me out here, apostle Paul. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to look at Jesus's final, final words. So we, we've got just, a, just two left in this series, but today's are a little bit unique. We're going to look at Jesus's commissioning text, the Apostle Paul. And just before we begin, I want to I want to make sure that we can all be on the same page with this, because what I want to make sure you don't do is you hear, well, pastor, this is what Jesus said to Paul. He didn't say that to me. That's what that was for Paul. That really has nothing to do with me today. And, and for the person who might think that, I want to say, okay, good. I'm glad that you're being uh, strict with the word of God to understand what it's saying. However, let me just ask this of you. If we are able to substantiate the conclusions we see in a specific message to Paul as repeated throughout the Bible, if we're able to see those in concert, then let me submit to you, maybe God can speak to you in a very similar way that he can speak to Paul. Maybe God has a similar type of principled commissioning for you, just like he, he did for Paul. When, when God says to Paul, I'm going to send you, I want you to be able to hear in your heart, you know what? God is sending me as well. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's sending you. God's sending you. So if you didn't hear it from me, you heard it from someone else today at least. So uh, we're going to be in the book of Acts uh, starting in chapter 26. If you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. <clears throat> the story of uh, the unfolding that Luke records of the, ch the church's witness uh, starts from Peter, works through Philip, and then we really focus in on Paul and his companions uh, with Barnabas and then later with Silas. And now Paul has been arrested. Uh, he's been arrested by the Jews and in attempting to bring him to court, uh, Paul says, I, look, these are false charges. I'm paraphrasing here. Paul says, these are false charges, and I am going to appeal to Caesar as a Roman citizen. So, so you are not able to level any accusation that's substantiated to me unless the king rules on it. And so the, the arresting officials say, okay. And so uh, Felix onto Festus, these are the governors here. They decide to take him to the king. Herod Agrippa. And that, so that's where we're going to pick up the story here uh, in Acts chapter 26. Uh, if you will look with me 
Well, let's start in verse 12. Paul's going Paul's to be recounting his testimony. Paul's going to be giving his story here on trial to the king. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if that was you standing before the king and giving your testimony? That's what's happening right here, right now. Let's read Acts 26, starting verse 12. Paul says, On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road... I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you? Lord, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people. And from the Gentiles, I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. All right. So Paul then, he, he again it makes an appeal to Herod Agrippa. Uh, the second, Herod Agrippa the second year. But uh, the part I would like us to focus in on, as, as we have for these past weeks, been looking at Jesus' last words. I hope you caught this. Th- these are, again, Jesus' final words, but now specific to Saul. And what, what we're going to seek to do today is uncover, um, under this pattern of rescue, what are those principles that God communicated to Saul that are true for you and I, shown throughout the New Testament, for how he rescues us. If you have sermon notes, you'll see that there are blanks that are listed there. I want to give you the first observation that we have. Number one, God rescues us from serving and hurting ourselves. The very first place that God rescues us is from self-love, self-service, and a a kind of deception where we think we're doing good for ourselves, but in, in actuality, we're only harming ourselves. If you look back with me back into the text, you will see in verse 14, as Paul recounts what, what Jesus does in appearing, he says, we fell to the ground. I heard a voice say to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then we have this interesting phrase. If you go back to the story in chapter 9 of how, uh, how this gets recorded earlier in the story by Luke, it's missing this line. Uh, the line said, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. In the King James, it says, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Well... <clears throat> I had to think about that for a minute. That's not a, that is not a saying we use very frequently here in the UP. Um, so what does this mean? What is it that Jesus is actually saying to him? Uh, one interesting uh, historical fact is that that phrase is actually a Greek kind of parable. It's like a Greek phrase that you can find in other literature. And so what's pretty interesting is that uh, one of two things is going on. Either Jesus is quoting uh, some, some Greek literature... 
Or Paul here is paraphrasing something that, that he heard from Jesus. I tend to think it's the first, though. It's the latter. I think that, that Jesus is so intimately aware of our culture and what we go through that he's able to just hijack little sayings that we use all the time and apply them into our lives. It is hard for you to kick against the goads or pricks. So what's a goad? What's a prick? Well, if you lived in an agrarian culture, you would have to plow your fields by using an ox, and the farmer would have this long stick, and on the end of the stick, he would have a little little prick, a little piece of iron, a little sharp stone, so that as the ox was potentially making his way on the wrong path, the farmer could give him a gentle little, what do you think? A little poxy-daisy, right? A little, little get-your-butt-on-the-right-path. And if the animal refused, what would the farmer do? He would increase his love, is what he would do. And he'd give him another little reminder. Uh, this is called goading. G-O-A-D-I-G. It's a, a goad is a persuasion onto a intended direction or intended path. Jesus is saying, Saul, Saul, you're, you're harming yourself. You think you're serving God by persecuting the church and chasing down these Christians. That's what, that's what Saul used to do. Jesus says, it's hard, it's hard on you to do that. Um, one other nuance to this phrase is that the will of the farmer is going to triumph, regardless of whether or not that animal wants to obey. So the farmer gives him a gentle poke and then a harder poke and then a harder, like eventually what's going to happen? We're either going to get this animal back on track or we're going to eat this animal for dinner. Those, those are your options. It is inevitable that the will of the farmer will come to pass. And so as much as Saul in his early days continued to resist God's will, God kept giving him little jabs, little jabs, harder jabs, harder jabs. What about you? What's your story like? Has there been a time in your life where God said, I want this one. You're, you're going to belong to me. You're going to be on the path I design. But you or I, we say, yeah, maybe, maybe when I'm older, someday. When I, when I worked on the mission field, I worked with youth, and, and we would routinely preach the gospel to these kids. And you know what we receive as we seek feedback from them? Almost 99% of the time, they'd say, well, we, we like God, but I'm not, I'm not ready to get serious with following God yet. I want to live my life. I want to do what I want to do. And, and then when I get older, I'll, I'll follow God. Listen, God has rescued you from a pattern and a behavior of following after your own desires that are actually bad for you. They're actually going to harm you. And we have further in this text, if you read a little bit further, verse 16, Jesus says, Now get up, stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant. Do you see that? Do you see the word there? Saul used to serve what he thought the right thing was to do. Jesus says, you are no longer going to be a servant that you define. You are now going to be my servant. The first thing I want you to know is that God has rescued you from serving and hurting ourselves. One of the places where I think that we see this most frequently in our world today is chasing after money. Uh, the, the Bible says in 1 Timothy that those who want to get rich, um, they, they fall into a, a pit and they pierce themselves with many griefs. Uh, th this comes out of 1 Timothy. Isn't that an interesting phrase? They pierce themselves. They're, they're actually harming themselves. And here's why. L listen close to me, church. 
everything on this side of eternity is temporary. The, the things that we love, the things we spend our money on, the, the endeavors we chase after, they're all fleeting. They're, they're not permanent. And so if you have placed your hope in riches and gold and possessions, you will find yourself to be very disappointed on the day that they're taken from you. But do you know what will never be taken from you? Jesus. Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. And in eternity, do you know what your inheritance is? It's Jesus. We got to be very careful how much we put our hearts into the things to really find affection and love for things that are temporary. We got to work really hard to make sure that we obey the Spirit to shift that affection to instead love that which is eternal and not to love that which is fleeting and passing away. I had this friend in high school uh, that lived in, in Florence down the road. Uh, her family had, uh, they decided to raise chickens. <clears throat> uh, not egg-laying chickens. Um, the other kind. <clears throat> the, the kind you eat and fry and cook up. And so they fattened up all these chickens. I remember one time going over to visit. And she brought me out to the barn and she said, Take a look at the chickens! Uh, this one we've named uh, Molly and this one is... Uh, and she, she started to, you know, chop calls. She started to tell me all the names of the chickens. And the only thing I could think is, what a dangerous thing to name these chickens. What's going to happen to Chuckles? Like, you got to be careful how, how much affection you're ascribing to that which is temporary because soon you're going to be eating Fluffy and Chuckles. And so, what about in your own life? Is there anything in your life that God is rescuing you from a love that you continue to invest your attention in that's just temporary, we need to make sure we shift that like Jesus did for Paul. We shift that to Jesus alone. Number two is this. God rescues us from the spiritual forces of evil. He rescues us from the spiritual forces of evil. Well, where is that in the text? I want to show you in verse 17. Jesus says to Paul, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I want you to know, as the Bible teaches us in Ephesians chapter 6, that your battle, Paul's battle, was not against his own people. But Paul's battle, your, your battle, is not against Gentiles. There's a spiritual battle that is going on right now. And our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the decepting, a deception and the decepting influence of the evil one in the hearts of those who continue to follow after Satan. That is a type of evil in our world that God wants to rescue you and I from. <clears throat> you will see this in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas get locked up in jail. Now, what was the promise? Right? If, I, if, I'm, if I'm reading Paul's testimony, Jesus says, I will rescue you. Well, here, Paul and Silas are locked up in jail. Do you guys know the story? Do you know how it goes? There they are in jail. And, and what do Christians do when they're in jail? They sing songs. That's what they do. And so they sing songs and they pray together. And then at midnight, do you know what happened? The earth began to, to move and shake. And there was a great earthquake. And the doors were opened. And Paul and his companions were freed. Now, you would think under those circumstances, um, what does Ricky say? Uh, some, 
Someone's got to pay. Someone's going to be in trouble here, right? Uh, you've got some explaining to do uh, to the jailkeeper, right? How did these guys get out? And um, it just so happened that God had orchestrated that the very people who were uh, responsible for locking Paul and Silas up, they were the ones who would become the new believers as Paul preached the message of good news to them. Listen, God is able, amen? God is able to rescue you from the spiritual forces of evil that get enacted by sinful men and women on earth. When I, uh, when I think about this promise in verse 17, I feel like it's an either or. L- look again in your Bible. What's it say in verse 7? Jesus says, I will what? Y'all got Bibles? What's it say? Say it loud. I will rescue. So either he will or he won't. Are you guys with me on that? Either he will or he won't. Uh, I remember seeing a video of this uh, this guy bungee jumping, went up on the edge of the bridge. You know, the bridge always looks closer from the bottom than it does when you're up at the top looking over the edge. You know, he's talking all big. I'm We're going to do this. And then he gets up there to the edge. And it's a different story, right? Because now he's got to jump. And the the, uh, the instructor guy with the, the bungee company, he says, don't worry, spring, spring will bring you back up again. Here's the deal. Either it will or it won't. Does the bungee cord bring you back up? Because either it will or it won't. And if it will, what should he do? You guys with me on this? Look, look, if it's a promise, if this is going to happen, you don't have any fear. You have no fear, even though this is a scary opportunity. Do you think Paul and Silas were a little scared getting arrested? Do you think Paul and Silas on occasion as they went to the Gentiles were scared? Do you think Paul, as he stands before the king and the governor on trial for his life was scared i think that fear was probably there a little bit but fear didn't stop him because he believed the promise if god is going to rescue you then he's going to rescue you and you can jump so i i would submit that there's probably some place in your life that you need to rely on the promise of god to rescue you such that you don't live by fear and that you're willing to go you're willing to jump number three God rescues us from blindness. Look again in the text. He says, I'm sending you to these Gentiles, to your people, to open their eyes. What a beautiful message. To open their eyes. This is exactly what God did for Paul. If you look back again to verse 13, about noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me. God opened the eyes of Paul by blinding him with the truth. And then Paul could finally see. And now Jesus says, that's the same thing what I did for you. It's the same thing I want you to do for others. I feel like the older I get, the younger everybody else who's older than me gets. Right? Do you realize that? People, people who I thought were old, they're not so old to me anymore. But the young people, boy, the young people, I just see, I see them being led in a way almost like they're blind to the dangers that are in front of them. You guys with me on this? Have you encountered this at all? Just go on Facebook for a little while. You'll figure it out. It's out there. The, The way that the world today moves has got so many dangers and false desires that I see young people just kind of doing this 
thinking that all oh, the, the newest, latest, greatest, whatever it is, is actually going to be good when in fact it's not. And somehow you're blind to it. You don't see it. There, there was a there was a skunk this past week that sprayed right outside our house, and in the middle of the night. You ever anyone has happened to you? You can kind of whoo. Spring is here. Summer's here. Yeah. Um, and then I, I remember I left for the day, and I and I came back, and when I when I walked into the house, somehow the skunk stank stayed. That's a tough sentence to say. The skunk skunk. I can't say it twice. The, the skunk stank stayed in the house, and I said to Emily, "You smell that?" She said, "Smell what?" What happened? What happened, Emily? See, I left. My nose got clear, and then I came back, and it was obvious. But, but by staying in the middle of it all the time, she became a little bit blind, a little nose blind, to the smell that was there. This is a danger in our world, you guys. The the more that we are surrounded by that which does not glorify God, the less we are sensitive to our need to be rescued from it. So. Jesus here, he rescues us by opening our eyes. Number four, God rescues us from the power of Satan. In Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, Paul says these words, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. The evil one is a tempter. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul describes him as an angel of... Do you guys know this? The devil is an angel of light. An angel of light. Which means the devil is going to look like he's right. He's going to look like he's good. But he's really not. When we see here, uh, fourthly, that we are rescued... From the power of Satan, I want you to see that that's exactly what Jesus says in the text. You look in verse 17. and Sorry, verse 18, he says, To open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. You guys know what the power of Satan is? The power of Satan is to lie and deceive you and therefore leave you paralyzed in fear. Let's just let's get his strategy figured out right now. The devil lies, deceives, and so seeks to divide God's people and hold you in fear over that deception. You know what's really hard for a deceiver to deceive by when... Let me say that again. It's very hard for a deceiver to deceive. Let me use a different word here. What do you call... What's another word for a magician? A deceiver is another word for a magician. Do you know it's really hard to do a, magi- a magician's trick? If you know how the trick is done, if you've had your eyes opened, it don't fool you anymore. When, when I was young, my grandpa used to play this trick on me. He would take his hand and he'd grab my nose and then he'd stick his thumb between his fingers and he'd say, I got your nose. Now, I was little and I could see my nose. And he would kind of like egg me on with that. Got your nose. I got your nose. That's my nose. I want, I want my nose back. Um, and as I looked, he said, see, look right there. I got your nose. And as a little kid, you know what I thought? I totally thought he took my nose. Until I figured out all he was doing was taking his thumb 
and putting it there. And I remember when I was older, my grandpa said, hey, I got your nose. And I was like, that don't work on me anymore, grandpa. I, I totally have it figured out. Does, does Satan's lies still work on you? This is his strategy, church. He's a deceiver. Angel of light. That's how he appears. He's masquerading. He really isn't. He just looks that way. Have, have you, like Jesus says to Paul, have you had your eyes opened? Do you, see the, do you see the trick? So that he's not tricking you anymore? I want you to know this is exactly what Jesus wants to rescue you from. From the power of the evil one. That we would understand his schemes and no longer be in darkness. And therefore, in fear. Fifthly, God rescues us from our sins. Uh, this is a really important one. I, I'd love to, I am running out of time. I thank you guys for your good attention this morning. But listen to this, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul says, I want you to flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of his body, but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? This line right here, you ready? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Um, when we read in the text that after it says he's going to rescue us from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sin. Don't rush over that statement. Forgiveness of sin is not some type of like, oh, that's okay, no problem. God, God does not look on your sin and sweep it under the rug. God is a judge and he's a just judge. And a, a judge who sweeps it under the rug is not just. So God says there must be penalty. Do not rush over the phrase forgiveness of sin because the forgiveness of your sins required the death of Jesus. And so hear me loud and clear that you and I, we were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. That's what it means to be forgiven. I had a, in college, I had this t-shirt that I really loved. I mean, this, you know, I, it, it was part of a, a team. It was a sports team and we had good camaraderie. And so every time I wore this shirt, I was reminded of that group. And somehow in doing laundry, when I came home from college, this shirt got tucked into some rags and I was with my dad while he was changing oil. And I saw him reach for a rag to wipe the oil off his hands. And lo and behold, guess what he was reaching for? Like my favorite t-shirt. And so do you know what I did? I rescued it. Because it had value to me. Because it had importance to me. Because it had meaning to me. You were bought at a price. God cherishes his people. He loves his creation. And his desire is that none would perish, but all would come to repentance and find eternal life. So just make sure we understand that the rescuing of God from our sins is not a light statement to make, but it's a very costly statement. Number six, God rescues us from eternal condemnation. The very last thing that he says here, receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. There was a, uh, th this word here, uh, have a place. So you see that in your Bible in verse 18, that you have a place. It means to have a share. It means to have a stake in. It means to have some participation in it. Uh, again, when I was in college, we were having this one banquet. I remember if you wanted to go, you had to get a seat right away. And if you couldn't make it, you had to send somebody to save your seat. Do you know what Jesus has done for you in the wedding banquet in heaven? 
He says in Luke, Jesus says in Luke that there will come those from the east and the west and the north and the south who will come and take their seat at the wedding feast. Do you have a seat there? Is there a spot saved for you? I hope so. If there is, it's because Jesus has saved that seat. Jesus has rescued you from eternal condemnation to give you a spot, to give you a share, to give you a seat and a place at the table with all those who are sanctified in Christ. All right, last one, number seven. You are still being rescued. Did you know that? I hope you knew that. I hope coming to church for you today was part of that. The reason I know that that's true for you is because I see that is true for Paul as well. I just want to point out one final observation. Back in verse 16, he says, Get up, get on your feet. I appear to you to point you as a witness of what you have seen. And then check out this line. And what I will show you. Not just what you have seen, but there's more to come. Here's the illustration I want to give you for this. Um, you, you, you all live in the UP, right? Or if not, you've been down a dirt road. You ever get your car stuck? Be honest now. Show of hands. I've gotten my car stuck. Who are you going to call? Jerry Cram is what I heard. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Who, who are you going to call? You're, you're going to call somebody who's got four-wheel drive. That's who you're going to call. You're going to call somebody who has the ability to, to get you out. Now, the worst kind of getting stuck is when you have a dead battery or there's something where the engine won't crank at all. L- let me tell you this. You are spiritually that dead car. Without Jesus, you, your engine doesn't even crank. The battery's completely dead. But do you know what Jesus did? Jesus showed up with four-wheel drive. And he hooked his chain up to you. And he pulled you out of the ditch. And he's going to take you home. That, that's what's happening right now. Now, if you've ever gotten a tow from somebody, do you know what's, what, what they never do? They never get you halfway and then unhook you and say, Good luck! If they came all the way to get you, what are they supposed to do? Get you all the way home. Church, you've been rescued. right? You, you, you've been pulled out of the mud. You've been pulled out, pulled out of the snow. You are still being rescued. The message of the gospel is not, hey, let me get you started and then you, you take care of it from here. Jesus has latched himself to you. And he's continuing to draw you and he will carry you, not just halfway, he will carry you all the way home. Amen? So what what do we do with this? This is a commissioning text. This is part of show and tell. This is Jesus' last words to Paul. And just as we are wrapping up here, I want to ask some questions. If you have your sermon notes, uh, this would be a, a really great exercise that I would encourage you to do if you have a pen, if you have a pencil. If you need to borrow one from somebody, see if, see if you can, but... There's, there's a question down at the bottom. I ask you this. What has God rescued you from? Just think about that for a minute. Maybe your answer comes immediately. This is, this is what God has rescued me from. Or maybe you would do well to just dwell on that for a little while. Maybe as you go home today and enjoy lunch, the Spirit of God will just press upon your heart. What is it God has rescued you from? My guess is, in some ways, all of our stories are similar But my guess is every one of us has our own unique take on it as well. That God has rescued each of you in a way that's slightly different from the person next to you. Second question I want you to answer is, what is God currently rescuing you from? He hasn't just rescued you, although he has. 
He is also still rescuing you. Now, you're not going to be able to do the third part. This sermon is basically useless to you unless you can accomplish those first two questions. If you can identify the way that God has rescued you, well, then you're fit to try to carry the application of this sermon into tomorrow and the next week. And so here's the last question. What part of God's nature and character are you now a witness to because of his rescuing? Because if you remember back to the text, this is exactly what Paul was commissioned to do. And I submitted to you at the beginning of this message, this is for you too. This isn't just for Paul. It's for every one of us. He says to Paul, I'm going to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what I have shown and what I will show. I'm saying to you today, the same is true for you. God has appointed you and I as a witness in a unique way. I have a story that's different than yours. You have a story that's different from the person sitting next to you. And God has appointed you as a servant, not of yourself, but of him, and as a witness of the wondrous rescuing that God has done for you in your life. The challenge to you and I is to ask the question, how can we better integrate that witness, the unique perspective that you have on God, into your ability to show the gospel and tell the gospel? This is what God did for Paul. Amen? We good on that?